0: You opened it. We came. It's just a puzzle box! Oh no. It is a means to summon us.
1: Welcome to Filmstrip's Hellraiser series.
0: Explorers in the
1: further regions of experience. Demons to some. Angels to others.
0: Featuring Nick. Come
1: to
0: And Jay.
1: This is it. The old homestead.
0: These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the thoughts, characters, and details of the Hellraiser films. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm the Demon some and Angels to other Nick.
1: <laughs> and this is a review of Hellbound,
0: Hellraiser Two, starring Claire Higgins,
1: Kenneth Cranham, Ashley Lawrence, Imogen Boorman, Sean Chapman, Oliver Smith, and Doug Bradley, directed by Tony Randall, released in nineteen eighty eight on a budget of estimated anywhere between three to six million, depending on who you ask. Grossed over twelve million at the box office and continued a franchise that had Gun, you're just some 13 months before. So, Nick, I've mentioned before in the first podcast I had never seen Hellbound: Hellraiser 2 before
0: watching it for this review. It's one I've seen twice before. It was, it was one of the movies I remember like as a kid. It was like I really, really, really wanted to see because I remember seeing Hellraiser and then hearing that you know Hellbound: Hellraiser 2 was pretty much the only other good one in the series and that it kind of expands upon a lot of what we saw in Hellraiser 1. So I remember, like, seeking it out at our local mom-and-pop store and watching it when I was a kid and really not having any idea what the hell happened in the movie. And then I remember watching this again after uh, me and my wife first started dating and she wanted to see Hellraiser. Then we actually went back and got Hellbound 2 to kind of continue the franchise because we were going to do a little marathon and watch all the Hellraiser movies. And I think we stopped after this part. So. <laughs> I'm not going say say anything on the movie. I think it was just because it's... I don't know, I just, I got a lot of questions with this movie, and I think a lot of it is just like, I think they had a vision, but I don't think they had the time or money to actually complete the vision, but... Well,
1: that's interesting you mentioned that because I said, you know, the budget here is much bigger than last time, of course. But apparently it was supposed to be like 10, 12, maybe even as high as 20. I don't know what idiot promised them that for this movie. There's no way they get that. But, I mean, they wound up doing this thing, and it is a much bigger film than we had last time. The world is bigger. It is definitely, you know, it it pays off on its name. It's not Jason takes Manhattan and it takes, you know, an hour and 10 minutes to get to Manhattan. We go to hell pretty fast in this thing or whatever the version of hell is in this world and we spent a lot of time there so i i'll give them credit for that for what they had the money for they spent it wisely this is a big much bigger film it's so what sequels are right it's got to be bigger and i think they definitely went bigger with returning cast members and we'll get into those but i think nick you got to tell everybody what hellbound hellraiser 2 is about before we discuss any further
0: yeah, I figured you'd be—I'd be the one has to read this one. So you get the easy, straightforward movie. <laughs> I get the one that's like kind of all over the place, and you know, I got to go around and pick up the scraps here. <laughs> kind of like the time I, the cat got run over. But
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're the, you're the guy
1: that did Terror Vision. I figured you could handle this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I kinda, oh, see, but I, I, if it was up to me, man, I would have done this from the. Uh, the um, perspective of the nail in the bedroom, or something like that, <laughs> or the mattress. This would have been from the perspective of the dirty mattress. <laughs> well, it is an important character. It is. It's, it's a great character. I think they actually had an action figure of it. It's right next to Rocky's meat.
1: It's, it's a McFarlane toy, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Okay, so the story picks up immediately after the events of the original with The mentally unbalanced Kirsty confined to a mental hospital after her experience with the hellish domain of the grotesque Cenobites, which included the gruesome death of her father. Her case attracts the attention of hospital director Dr. Channard. 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 I don't know. I'll call Chan, him Chan, Ch- Channard,
1: uh, Channard, I think it is. Chandler. I'm going
0: to call him Channard, though. That sounds more British. So. <laughs> with, uh, uh, her case att- attracts the attention of hospital director Dr. Channard. Who has marked interest in her story? See, the doctor has an impressive collection of the puzzle boxes, which are versions of the lament configuration. These devices, these are devices. Wait, 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 that...
1: wait, wait. It's the lament
0: configuration. Lament, whatever.
1: No, yeah, l- no, no, no. There's a, you know what a, a lamentation is? That's it's from the Old Testament, but it's like a weeping and gnashing, wailing. You, you got to say it right. It's lament. lament. So do that line
0: again. Yeah, lament. Lament my dick, dick. <laughs> <laughs> Just read the damn line. <laughs> okay, see, the Doctor has an impressive collection of puzzle boxes, many of which are versions of the Lament Configuration, the device that opens a gateway to the Cenobite's dimension. To further realize his diabolical obsession, Chenard conducts grisly human sacrifices to resurrect the body of Kirsty's evil stepmother julia who has literally been through hell and back they also recruits a mute autistic patient tiffany an expert at solving puzzles to decipher the correct version of the box haunted by visions of her mutilated father suffering in hell Kirsty joins tiffany in hopes of resurrecting him from the cenobite's dimension tiffany gains them access to the portal and they make the make their nightmares journey down the corridors of hell Narrowly escaping the diabolical pinhead, they come face to face with Julia, who has already handed Dr. Chenard over to the Cenobites to be transformed into a hideous new creation. The Chenard Cenobite seemingly kills all of the other Cenobites, but before he can finish off Kirsty and Tiffany, Tiffany begins to solve the puzzle box that tears him apart and gives him. Wait. Uh, the Chenard the Cenobite seemingly kills all the other Cenobites, but before he can finish off Kirsty and Tiffany, Tiffany begins to solve a puzzle box that tears him apart and gives the two just enough time to escape. And after... <laughs> in the final scene, the, a mover packing up boxes at the Institute is sucked into a bloody mattress, releasing the Pillar of Souls and setting the stage for future tales. What is your pleasure?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, you have done a good job of summarizing what is a very twisting, turning, hard to follow film. I'm just going to say it right off the top, Nick. I had to watch this twice To just get a handle on it, and I don't know that I've totally wrapped my brain around everything I saw, because there is a lot of weird shit in this. I mean, the last one was uh, pushing the limits of of unnerving and, and oddity. This goes to a whole other level. Well, he was an executive producer on it, and Tony Randall was a guy that had worked on the original Hellraiser with him, and everything I was able to read was he had a pretty decent hand still on most of what was happening here. Now, it's different screenwriters this time around, but I... Think or a different screenwriter, I should say this time around, Peter Atkins. But I think he still maintained some bit of control over, uh, you know, how things were realized and how they looked and and such like that. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, everything I've read is that he still maintained a good bit of uh, control over the the
0: film. Yeah, I mean it's 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 strange because it seems like i mean it has a very much clive barker feel to it you can tell he's been involved i just wasn't sure how much he was involved in it because this again seems like it's kind of out of his crazy mind with all the weird imagery and just kind of like stuff going on in here and i mean we talk about you know we're trying to try to figure out what's going on with this movie and it's kind of the same with the first Hellraiser because you really got to try to figure out what happened in the movie i think that what's makes the first Hellraiser easier to understand is that it's an more of a straightforward to- tale. There's not many characters. In- I mean, there's really only, what, four main characters in the first Hall Yeah. This one's got, you know, doesn't have, you know, four main characters, but you got new characters coming in, you got old characters coming back. But it's just, it's bigger in scope, and I think that scope actually kind of makes it a lot more convoluted.
1: It is very convoluted. That is a grand word for this. This whole film is starts out with convolution that I don't know is necessary. The first thing we get is we see this British Army captain named Spencer playing around with that puzzle box, and the hooks emerge ensnaring him and force him into the box, and they transform him into the Cenobite we know as Pinhead. Did we need to know that that's where he came from, because they play it later in the film for a big trope that's how Kirsty's able to get away is to appeal to that humanity again, right, but do we need that i I ask you because I was worried when we opened with that I thought, oh no, we're going to overtell we're going to oversell the origin here and it's it's going to ruin all of what I liked the last time.
0: The thing is, I think after the first hall is even though like Frank was the bad guy, really I think what people took away from the movie was Pinhead. Right. Was that they saw him and they wanted more of him. And I think they kind of felt obligated to make him more of a focus in the movie. Cause again, he was more of a force in the first one and not really the bad guy where I think in this movie, they were going to try to bring him forefront, maybe almost turn him into kind of an anti-hero in this movie. You could kind of say, and I think this is just kind of a way they wanted to set up the character. I didn't mind it. I think it's kind of cool that it was like, yeah, he got transformed. He was human at a time. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about, you know, he was monkeying around with his box, and that transformed him into a Cenobite. What was so special about him that he got transformed into a Cenobite where Frank, you know, got brought in and tortured? You know, it's just... right. it didn't, it didn't really make sense of us. I mean, was he more worthy of it? Was he less worthy of it? I mean, is it something to do with the desire? I mean, it just, there wasn't much explanation to it. And it just kind of comes off, I guess, with, with more, you're, you're adding an element that's really just making you ask more questions than what it's answering
1: well, and I think you've hit on it there. It's opening up doors. I didn't know we needed to go down and it even has some dialogue about it, you know, about what he was seeking and how he was able to get where he goes. I mean, he does this whole thing, which is different in this film than the last film. When Tiffany winds up solving the box and the Cenobites are called, the other Cenobites are ready to, you know, go with the torture. And he's like, no, she's not the one who called us. Like he can sense who really wanted them to be there. And I was like, well, last time you, you shouldn't have known that when Kirstie did the box, because she didn't really know what you were either. So they've they've played and changed the rules here a little bit. It's a little retconning, but, you know, every horror sequel has to do this at some point, right, Nick? I mean, otherwise, if it's so simple a story, if it's such broad strokes... You can go wherever you want to with it, and I guess they decided this is where they wanted to go. And and I got to tell you, I I was worried at the beginning. Those worries subside later on with the pinhead character. I actually kind of like what they do with him here. But the opening I thought was really really weird. That we I didn't know what we were starting off
0: with. I was like, I gonna get you know the entire prequel backstory. I didn't know what I was getting here. But it's 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 almost I think kind of their thing though because you get the first one. It's with a guy opening the box. And now this one is with a guy opening the box. It's just a cold open. It may, it may have even been, you know, maybe a little bit better if they would have just had a, I don't know, maybe showing a guy who looks a lot like Pinhead opening up the box. Hmm. And then the same thing happens. that happened to Frank. You don't show him transforming. And then later in the movie, you kind of say, hey, he eventually got transformed into Pinhead. Right. Let's
1: see, I don't know. It, I think they didn't want to spend a lot of time on this. They just wanted to throw this out there. To, and I think part of this was to let us know that character that you all hung on to from the last time he's coming back. And not only is he coming back, we're going to tell you a little bit about him. We're going to peel back a
0: layer on the onion here. See, from what, from what I read, though, on IMDb is that from the original script, the final script of this was that they had a lot more of him in human form and a lot more explanation as to his past. Really? But they cut it all because of budgets, the, the budget thing. So they've kind of just kind of left little parts of it in here.
1: That's very, so. very interesting. So I I can see how the budget would have cut that part of the story down a little bit because it's – they've got to spend so much more money on the hell world and everything that we're going to go to. But before we get into that, though, we do need to pick up with Kirstie, Our our – uh, you know, hero. I guess you'd say from the last film, Survivor or whatever. I love how they pick up right where it leaves off. They do the Halloween two, right? And she is in an institute, you know, and we don't know why. And she's got to retell. Well, I can tell you story. why, Jay,
0: because they saw they saw Dream Warriors. <laughs>
1: I had that feeling too. I'm glad you called it out. I really got a Nightmare on
0: Elm Street three off of this. Big. It's a, it's it's a blatant rip off. Let's just call it what it is. I mean. You got them all in this, you know, you know, hospital. They're all at the same
1: time. It should be said that, that at that point, the Nightmare films had cleared number three. I think four was coming out this same year as this or right along in that same time. These two film series chased each other's tails for a few years. And this is one of the most direct reasons why.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, even the character of, uh, was it uh, Tiffany? I mean... Oh, That's she, oh from, she's totally from, that, that girl. Yes. She's totally Christian. I mean, yeah. to a T man. I mean, they got a blonde girl, you know, the girl looking next, next, you know, girl next door, blonde girl. Sunken eyes
1: with sunken yeah. eyes
0: even. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a complete rip off of that. Now, I mean you can't deny it at all. I mean, you even got, you know, it's all in the psychiatric ward. You got, you know, even you get later, you see like all the kids that are in there, you know, kind of being used for this, much like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street Three. Oh yeah, but I mean the thing is though, the setup here is that this
1: doctor who will later learn is interested in her isn't interested in her case so much as he's interested in the fact that she's telling stories about something he's been chasing for years. He's wanted the he's apparently knows about the Cenobites, he knows about their, you know, pain and pleasure realm. He wants to be a part of all of that and has chased it for a long time and he's got you know, now he's got the direct link, he thinks, with this girl, and he's also got this Tiffany girl, this uh, catatonic puzzle solver girl, working on all this stuff. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's it, it's convoluted, but on the other hand, I kind of like it. I was digging the, the story, because if you're going to introduce bigger characters, make it broader, at least give, give me people that are easy to pick a side on. And it was easy to know that this was Dr. Frankenstein gone awry the whole way. I mean, even the way they play the music behind him and the crashing lightning and stuff. Every time he walks by a window,
0: I swear there's a flash of lightning. I was like, this is Doctor Frankenstein. It's a little bit convenient that she happens to go to the same hospital where they had this one guy who's completely obsessed with this, you know. The
1: oh, the, I don't think I don't think it's convenient at all. I think he heard about it and had her sent there because the thing we don't know is how how Kirsty got there really. Like he tells her some line about yeah, we just sent your boyfriend home or whatever, but I'm like he's out in a pile in the back or something. Like they he found out about this because I'm sure her her stories were not the kind of thing that people kept to themselves and he got her sent there pretty fast and he would seem like the guy that would have his finger on the pulse and stuff like that
0: could be i, I think i would have liked it better if she was at a hospital and he showed up there that he like transferred himself there
1: i could see that but but i mean the whole point is that and part of that i think may have been a budget cut again and i, I don't know if that's true or not but
0: or may or maybe him visiting her
1: Well, having her at his institute, he's got his treasure room with all his boxes and stuff. So that's kind of the point of all of that. But he's got this sidekick, Kyle. I guess he's an assistant or whatever. And he immediately, like, falls for Kirstie. Like, he's totally crazy. And I'm like, well, we just threw old boyfriend away fast, didn't we?
0: Yeah, they got rid of him really quick. But, I mean, isn't that kind of a horror movie trope, as they usually... A lot of times they even just kill off the main characters in the first scene of the movie. It's, it's, it's usually if sense. if
1: the main character comes back for the second film, she has a whole new set of friends that haven't been slaughtered yet. You know, I mean that's how that usually works.
0: Yeah, I thought it would have been actually kind of cool if like, you know, as we we meet the uh, the Ch- Chanard or Chanard or whatever the hell you say his name character i mean you see the one thing where he's like opt doing brain surgery on this guy and it's actually it's pretty disturbing what he's doing yes. to this guy and i think you know that would have been kind of cool if that was actually christy's boyfriend yeah like i think that would have been cool
1: if they had tied that a little bit closer because what we'll learn about chandard is that he is had been a masochist for pain and pleasure his whole life. He's been cutting on things since he was a young kid. The reason he became a psychiatrist is so he could do these kind of weird surgeries. And I mean, he's, he's like the nightmare doctor from the remake of the house on haunted hill too. I mean, he's th- it's that kind of stuff, you know, the, the mental pain, the mental doctor that has gone mental himself. It's, it's I mean, almost
0: two. I mean, this came on the late eighties and this is when a lot of times like psychiatrists and stuff were, kind of painted to be evil.
1: Oh, look, if you were in a movie in the late 80s and you were a psychiatrist, you were either sleeping with all your patients or you were a murderous fiend. Yes, you're right. It is a trope of that
0: time period. But I I do like the addition of his character, though, because it adds a big bad back into it. Because as we said in the first movie, Frank was the big bad of the first movie. And with him being gone or being caught in there, now you have to bring someone who's kind of like the new evil guy in here. And I kind of like this because he's almost like, He's a lot like Pinhead in a way of just like the way he's acting, the way he's very calculated, very smart, and you know, Pinhead's seeking people and he's seeking them. And it's almost like they're it's almost like they're like equal they're on equal playing fields as far as their intellect goes. And how they're controlling the situation. Oh, no, absolutely. And the thing he gets off Kirsty is
1: that it was the blood being spilt through the floor that you know resurrected Frank, and somehow or another she knows that the bed Julia died on. And was sucked into the, you know, hell from, because we didn't talk about that in the, the last movie, but Julia apparently didn't die from that stab wound. She got a hold of the puzzle box, solved it, and laid down on the bed and got torn apart by the, you know, the Cenobites. And he, she, Kirstie tells him, if if you let anybody near that mattress, you've got to destroy it because she can come back through it. That's yeah, exactly that in the first one? Yes. Really right? That happen it, it's at the, it's in the end of the first one if you go back and look at it there's a one shot where she runs back by the bedroom while her and boyfriend are battling the cenobites and she sees that's how she gets the puzzle box back and starts solving it to beat all of them but mm. I, I yeah it's very it's a real slight thing and I thought well you talk about something just picking up on and I think again that's probably Barker's influence still on this stuff is, is knowing those details but I like how he, she lays out for him here's how you have to bring somebody back now please don't bring anybody back and of course he's such an evil So that's exactly what he's going to go do. So he goes and gets this guy who thinks he's got stuff crawling all over on him. And hands him a straight razor and says, we'll cut him off of you. It's basically so he can bleed on that mattress to bring back the bloody skinless Julia. And you talked about it. Give us a new big bad with the doctor. Well, we bring back the other big bad from last time too,
0: Julia. I mean, did you want to see her again? Mm, Not really. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I just thought her story was done. You know what I'm saying? Like where she was kind of the bad guy but she was kind of the lackey bad one you know it's almost like bringing back uh killing off vader and bringing back you know tarkin or his name tarkin <laughs> yeah yeah i'm always talking about star wars so i apologize about that but there's are so much easy they're movies that you can use really good analogies with so that's almost kind of was like you're kind of bringing back a beatless villain from the first one but she's evil enough where i think she holds her own and she really steps, steps it up a notch here And i gotta admit you know when she gets resurrected it's not as cool as frank's resurrection in the first one not even close to being as cool as has with the, you know the skeleton and the brains forming and stuff, she kind of just like pops out of the mattress <laughs> no, yeah, no,
1: I agree. it's not as cool, but you want to know something I like the gruesomeness, and I like the extra detail paid on the makeup here this time with the skinless people like before it looked cool, but it was kind of gooey, and it's probably much more realistic and things I love the fact that. She was she was just bloody raw bones and just you know, nasty from the start. I don't know. I, I kind of dug the fact the way she got resurrected, man. I, I well, was even
0: the way she kills a guy is kind of very sexual how she kills him because she's completely got him straddled as like oh, in the
1: bed. it's totally sexual. That's exactly what they're going for. Is and what's the first thing she does? She you know has the doctor wrap her up in gauze and then she starts making out with him and you know touching her blood and all this stuff and she's like, now you got to go get me some skin. And he lines up like a bunch of just random people for her to kill, and I'm like, "Well, you talk about just dispensing with the issue." It's like, "Well, y'all saw how he did it in the first one. We're just we're not going to waste any time anymore setting this up. He's got a load of people that can just be killed at all times." So Julia goes through and just you know, skins them all to reform
0: herself. I gotta I gotta bring this up though. Is like, good thing this didn't happen in like the house I grew up in, because she'd be covered in dog hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i always think when i see these like you know people are skinless i'm like my god if they were if they were by a dog, they'd be covered in hair. Just imagine how <laughs> sticky they are. Well, I just I mean I got this whole thing and I was
1: thinking way too far ahead of the movie. And I was like, gosh, that's I mean it's gotta hurt. And I think Frank even had a line in like the first one about the feeling is starting to come back, Julia. I'm starting to you know my nerves are reforming. I thought, geez, I bet that does hurt. You know to, to walk. Yeah, around. we've all been
0: sunburned before. Imagine having that sunburn. Oh
1: God, I know I don't want to. I think I'll skip that. But yeah, I, it was very unsettling. I think I'll go back to that wording again it's a very unnerving unsettling scene
0: but let's bring it up too about julia though i mean in the first movie she's a bad guy but she's completely being used right and this movie it's the same exact thing again well she's being used by the doctor i think she thinks she's in control and she's in a little bit more control than she was in the first one but essentially she's being brought back to be used
1: well i disagree with that because i think she is using him too she knows that she she's going to turn him over to the Cenobites, and he doesn't realize what he's wishing for and once he gets it he's going to really regret it. So I I I kind of thought she was willing to go along with it because she was going to get what she
0: wanted out of it eventually. I, well maybe they're both using each other to get what they want. But again it's just like, you know, Julia is being used again. Absolutely. I that's totally what's happening. So and I, I
1: don't know. I I like I liked Julia coming back though. I thought it was cool and I love how Kyle winds up discovering the treasure room with all the Cinnabite paraphernalia and he sees the Julia and goes back to tell Kirsty about it, and then only to turn around and be killed. I mean, I was kind of surprised that Kyle got whacked out so early in the film. I didn't realize Tiffany was going to be such an important role, that they were really going to Nightmare on Elm Street 3, this thing. I thought, you know, the little girl would just wind up sitting around solving puzzles the whole time. I didn't know she was going to be running down the hallway with uh, Kirsty in hell.
0: Yeah, I was surprised when he got killed, too, but it was, I guess, kind of refreshing that we didn't just have this, like boyfriend or love interest or just guy that's kind of just around just to come in the last, you know, scene or two and kind of save the day or help her out. And it kind of made it kind of show too that. Maybe like the stakes were a little bit raised in this one too. Cause you know, they're really killing off people and now it's making sure Kirsty's all by herself
1: exactly i mean she is definitely isolated in most of this film or at least it, i mean her only help is this little girl that you know she has some and she's got
0: it bad i mean she's got it bad because like you no, know, she's having visions of father in hell you know that you oh, know, he's yeah. out of skin and just like right help me you know in hell and you know she's in a position too where it's like she wants to go try to get him out Right you know. that's that's her only motivation here she wants to go get
1: him out and as she's ex- you know exploring that treasure room she finds that photo of Elliot Spencer another reason we know that the doctor has been in on this for a long time, knows all of this history that maybe we don't even know. But I like the fact that she stumbled on that because I thought, okay, good, we're we're paying off Chekhov's gun here. We showed me that in the first act. I'm seeing it in the second act. I'm waiting for it to pop up in the third act, and sure enough, it will. But I, I don't know. I kind of like that. I thought that was cool the way that she stumbled on all that stuff, and then, uh, you know, but then you know, finally. Winds up back into the realm again because she bumps into Julia, right? Chattered uh, and Tiffany show up. Tiffany solves the box, and the Cenobites appear. And I don't know. I, I and I love how they. You know, I said it before that they're they're definitely much more discerning this time. He knows immediately that Tiffany's not the one that called him there, right? Like he
0: knows that that it's the doctor that's been wanting them. Yeah, and in a way, too, I like – I kind of like that whole new added aspect where it's like, yeah, it's not the hands that bring us this desire. Right. And in a way, I guess it makes – because like I was saying in the first one, I don't think he's really that – he's not a bad, bad, bad guy. I mean, what he does is bad, but people are asking for it when they call him. Exactly. And I think in a way, it's like, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to, like, rip apart at this, like, you know, autistic girl who doesn't really know what's going on? It's like, no, that's, that's not his M.O., He's He's not. He's looking to look for people who want this, even if they only want it right that second and don't want it the rest of the time. It doesn't matter. He's looking for that just little bit of desire for this. And he's got this, just I think for him, if he would go in after Tiffany, it just really wouldn't make any sense, you know?
1: Right. It didn't make any sense. And I love how everybody winds up going into the hell dimension. And what did you make of the hell? I mean, it's like a big labyrinth of stone walls that everybody's running on top of. And it's stormy. It looked kind of like a level out of Halo at one point to me. And (laughs) I don't know. A level out of Doom. (laughs) Ah, you know what? There you go. Maybe that's what inspired it. Inspired Doom was this.
0: I never thought about that. But good point has a lot of Hellraiser type imagery in it.
1: Yeah, very much. Yes, I agree. Except, you know, I didn't see the BFG laying around anywhere. But maybe that's in one of the sequels. I know, I know, there's one where we go to space, so I, I can hold out hope, right? But because <laughs> uh, you know, the last few times any of the series I've done have gone to space, it just worked out so damn well for me. But anyway, so before before I get off into that, I like the the Hell Realm. I, I'll tell you, I I like how Julia is explaining it too. That you know, this big. Uh, the puzzle box at the time is into like two opposite facing triangles or whatever. And it's rotating around with this big black light shining. And she calls it the God of the realm. It's Leviathan, you know, and it, I love how it shines that light through the doctor and sort of shows some of those flashbacks of his sadomasochistic ways. Right. And, you know, she's telling him everything he's going to be, uh, in tune for and Leviathan winds up turning him into like the newest Cenobite, right? How did you make that? I didn't see that coming at all. I just thought he was going to get killed.
0: Uh, the labyrinth thing. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool in a way. I mean, it's, I guess from what I've read to like the noises that it makes, it's actually Morse code. Interesting. Haven't heard And that. what it's saying is God. Ah, very cool. And it's just, it's different. I mean, you don't see, I've really never seen anything like that. I mean, it's just this giant geometric shape and it's just like, is it a lot, you know, it's, it's alive. It's, it's, it's a conscious type being, but it's just, it's not what you would envisioned. And I think it just kind of adds a, you know, kind of a creepy, more of a creepy vibe to this movie.
1: Well, I've I've seen it in two other places. I've seen it in 2001, A Space Odyssey, the Monolith, and okay. 2010, and then it, and even more poorly done in Star Trek four. So with the thing. True, true, true. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, 2001, so, the Monolith. But I, I don't think that's really what they were getting at with this. I think it was just like, I mean, as you find out later, it's the lament configuration kind of turns into. No no i agree i I just think I do
1: think that's what they're getting at though is this being it's controlled by that box in some way or another, but while it's in on mode or whatever it can be and do whatever it wants, and I love the fact that it takes the doctor and turns him into this just hideous thing with all these you know uh things that come out of him, these tentacles that come out of them. They can be knives. They can be razor blades. They can be tongues. Just weird, weird stuff. very strange. But I got to tell you, a couple of times, the Chandler Cenobite, I really thought I was looking at like a distant relative of Hungary from Terror Vision. I really got that feeling from it.
0: <laughs> no, he's a cool guy. And it's like, okay, you know, they're running around. And Pinhead and everybody really so far, they haven't been – have they been bad at all?
1: They so just still, no, I matter in fact,
0: they've been dare I say
1: it good because they know that Tiffany's not the one that needs to be punished.
0: Yeah, and it's just kind of like they're there; they're this force that's there, and you're kind of waiting for them to do something. And then, all suddenly, you know, Channard gets turned into his, you know, whatever. And it's just like, yeah, I didn't think that they were going to come to blows. I thought maybe they'd work together or something like that. But it turns out, no, they end up kind of coming to blows because. Kirsty ends up, you know, running into that, running into the Cenobites. I think the Cenobites, then I finally had enough of her. (laughs) Well, you know,
1: I I love that scene, though. I love how they keep, I mean, they call her out for like, you know, we just keep bumping into you. (laughs) And you keep saying that you don't call us and you don't need us. But I think differently. And I, I love that back and forth that they have. And I love how she tries to appeal to the humanity. And at first I was like, Oh great. We're going to go, you know, there's, there's light in you. I can feel it father. We're going to return to the Jedi this, but on the other hand, that trope is used in a lot of other films too, to not just star Wars. I kind of like that. I like the fact that she tries to appeal to this, this thing to let her go and to let her, you know, get her father back. And that's what she's looking for. and, uh, and he keeps telling her that you'll never be able to reach him. There's no way to do it. You know, I don't know. I th- I thought that was cool, the way that they had their encounter.
0: I just liked it, too, that he was just, he finally was, like, annoyed with her. It's just like, enough of this, okay? Yeah. You know, you're, you quit teasing us. You know what we are, and you keep on, you know, you keep on poking us. You know, it's right. Enough's and, enough. And, you, and the thing is, you can't blame him. It's not like, oh, you know, that jerk. It's kind of like... Yeah, you know what? It's kinda of like someone going into a lion's cage and kind of just like poking the lion with a stick. You kinda of, you kinda of knew what you're getting into by doing that.
1: Well, Nick, it's even it's even better than that. It's the boy who cried a wolf. It's like how many times are we gonna do this? You know, and, yeah. and do we have to keep doing this dance? And we need to talk about this too, because before that scene, Kirsty bumps into Uncle Frank who explains to her that it's not her father who's been sending her these cryptic, come help me, I'm in hell messages. It's her. Because his personal hell is... All these women who play, you know, claim that they're going to pleasure him and then they don't—they bring him right up to the moment and they they leave him hanging. You know, so it's an eternal set of blue balls is what Frank has basically, <laughs> and he wants her to try to satisfy that. And Julia, of all people, shows up and rips his heart out as revenge for
0: killing her last time. I don't know. How'd you like how all that went down? I liked it though. I think it was t- Julia was. You know, she's the bad guy, and she, you know, didn't have a whole ton of screen time in the movie, but it was more of just like another character arc for her, where she's like kind of evolving as a bad guy. And even like at the end of this movie, I kind of thought that she would come back in the sequels, just kind of like how they're developing her character. But we'll get more into that in a little bit. But I, I, I do like everything with Frank in here. I like that they brought him back, and I do love his hell because I mean that totally fits with you know kind of what we're saying in the fr- when, when we first talked about this movie about. How hell is kind of like repetition and stuff like that. And like Yeah, you know, basically like, you know, these girls that are kind of pleasuring him and then right when he's about it's like, nope, they back off and then they do it over and over and over again. It's just this repetition of I could totally see I mean it's perfect hell for him. Exactly.
1: And, And and I love how the struggle goes down, like I said, but in the process of all of this, Julia's skin gets ripped off and she winds up dropping down into this wind tunnel. To never be seen again, right? I, that was a weird way for her to go out, in my opinion.
0: See, so yeah, I, I think they were thinking about bringing her back. but
1: Well, that was the intention, and it, we can say it now. They wanted her to kind of carry on the mantle. This was supposed to be the end of Pinhead, and the Julia was going to carry on, but the actress said she wasn't interested, and they didn't want to recast, so that's the rewrite. So it's I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I'm with you. It does feel like there's a chance for her to come back later on. But that leads us to the, the encounter with the Cenobites and stuff. And when Channard shows up, it's when uh, Pinhead kind of stands up for Kirsty and lets her run away again. And all of the Cenobites get killed one by one. And as they're killed, they turn into their human form. And I got to tell you, that was weird that the Chatterbox guy and the female Cenobite were like, they were like kids. They were teenagers, right? How how twisted is that?
0: I think what Cersei is she kind of weakened them, though. I think by bringing out that human element into them, and like you know, she's talking to him, and like they kind of get like that little like you know, yeah, maybe she's right. You know, this guy, you know, we don't like this new guy here, and they turn on him, and you know, yeah, I mean chatterer i mean chatterer looked different at the end of the movie too didn't he
1: yeah he had a little bit of a different uh mass this time time. yeah i think that was because the the actor refused to put that other thing back on
0: (laughs) he didn't have eyes in the beginning of the movie and i guess you know even just reading it right now i guess the the intent was actually had a scene where pinhead allows him to see again that he you know is able to take into his next form Interesting. He cuts open his eyes and stuff so he's able to see again and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he, he turned out he was a kid, so he obviously got sucked in when he was a child. And same with the female one. Butterball, what was Butterball? Was he just a fat guy? It was just, just some guy,
1: yeah, just you know, random guy. So very weird. Like I said, it was a very unsettling, very weird scene. But I, I liked it. I liked the fact that it does look like they're all dead. And like I said, the intent was – that this was the end of them and we were moving on to something else. And and in a, in a way I could see how this series could do that because if anything can be turned into a Cenobite by the Leviathan, then you don't have to have the same ones all the time. Right. And I, is... we can talk about it in future sequels, but I wonder, did they need to bring back pinhead and keep going with that? Because I mean, he's done as far as this film's concerned, because the end of it is the, the Channard uh Cenobite is going to take out Tiffany and all of a sudden who shows up, but Julia, right? Standing on the ledge and she starts making out with him. And it gives Tiffany time to start solving the puzzle box. And she turns the configuration of Leviathan back into the box and not the big triangles. Right. And so as it starts to, metamorphosize it tears the channard Cenobite apart so you were you know we talked about it offline you're like what is channard hooked to because he just gets you know comes up out of the the darkness right he's sort of on he's held by all these weird tentacles right and i think the answer is he's tied in some way to that uh configuration in the sky and so when it changes it tears him apart
0: yeah that's what i took too and um even like i kind of talk about pinhead again just for a second is like what I thought was kind of great though is like when you see what he looks like in his human form, I mean he looks completely different in his pinhead makeup. I agree, yeah, it's it's a, t- I mean it doesn't look anything like him. It's an amazing makeup job. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, when when the Leviathan and everything like that's all you know coming apart and stuff, yeah, it tears him apart. So I think in a way, may, was he Leviathan? You know, in you know the, the physical form of Leviathan? I I don't know. I mean it could be. Could have been, could have been. And that,
1: that he could take on any form. And so when he's done with a form, it just gets shredded. And that would make sense, right? Like you you could sacrifice the flesh thing because you can be anything. I don't I like that though. I like the fact that it's Tiffany, you know, dream warring, if you will, and solving this and she's about to fall off the edge though. And Julia leans over to give her a hand and we see, you know, her skin getting pulled off as Tiffany's trying to get up. And then the reveal is Kirstie went and grabbed the loose skin and put it on. I didn't see that coming, and I should have because it's, it's obvious. But I don't know. I I kind of liked it. I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, he got to get it with a little bit of the, you know, pass for – she obviously wouldn't look exactly like her with the skin on her. I mean, skin doesn't take the form of somebody. But, <laughs> How do you, you know, know
1: that? Like, I don't want to know the answer,
0: actually. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm a hunter, dude. I know. I've seen stuff before, so – Anyways, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a nice little twist, and then, you know, they, they got the whole chase to get out of there and everything like that, and, they, you know, they, they escape and everything, and it's, I don't know, it's just, it's weird, because the end of the movie, just from the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, Pinhead's dead, you know? Right, yeah,
1: it's very I just,
0: easy. it was it's just a really weird feeling about how Pinhead's dead, but then, of course, you know, at the end of the movie, we get the, the bloody mattress again, and, we get a p- the pillar coming out. The pillar that we saw in the first one comes out. And you got the weird guy from the first movie, uh, the uh, the
1: vagrant. Speaking yeah, of the Chinese man's voice, you know, yeah, know the that. what's your pleasure. But, I mean, you've got Julia's body on there. You've got the the puzzle box on there. You've got Pinhead's face against there. You've got some baby crucified to it. I mean, it's a freaky looking thing. I mean, it's like a real weird piece of avant guard art or something right it's really strange but they leave it open again you know the what's your pleasure sir to the the one guy that wasn't sucked in the mattress and so i guess the pillar is what's going to go forward now i don't know it's very strange
0: yeah, I mean, they did set it up to let, you know, Julia kind of come back and be the bad guy, especially with the ending with seeing her body and stuff like that. And right, I don't know, w- would you have liked the scene to go on with her being the bad guy in the next one? Or would you want Pinhead to come back?
1: I, if, between those two, I'll go with Pinhead because I think there's still more story there to tell. We still don't really know anything about that captain and why he got sucked into the box, why he was chosen to be a Cenobite, all that but stuff. I think, I think they out. both
0: could have came back, though.
1: No, no, no. I agree, but I, I gotta tell you, I was, I was cool with Julia coming back this time. I felt like she served her purpose. She got her revenge on Frank, and then she was done, and I, there was nothing else for her to do.
0: But it was kind of a unceremonious, unceremonious, you know exit for her you know she just it was
1: it feels like the kind of thing again that they were setting up to bring her back and then when the actress decided not to that just that's just how it gets left so and to my knowledge doesn't ever come back in any of the sequels so uh we'll have to see going forward but i don't know i i i was good to go forward to see what else they could do i don't know that i even wanted pinhead back but if they were going to i figure we'd get more of the backstory i was cool for that but see
0: i want i wanted lieutenant gorman to come back uh, (laughs) no
1: <laughs> well hey he's better than 86 right so <laughs> well <laughs> nick i think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts recommendations and popcorn ratings so what are yours for hellbound hellraiser 2
0: for me it's not as good as the first one um it's got a lot of problems it's got a lot of big ideas but the ideas kind of are they're, they fail on the execution point part of them um, I got to give it merit for you know trying and going bigger and bringing back pretty much pretty much everybody in the cast I think, except for Kirsty's father, which again just like kind of reading notes about Hellraiser two and stuff like that. I guess originally they wanted her father to be a real big part about this, but the actor didn't want to come back, so they kind of had to drop him, kind of you know you know George McFly style, <laughs> you know just have a couple little flashbacks throughout the movie with them. But for me, it's 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 a medium popcorn. I I like the movie a lot. I Last time I watched it, I really didn't care for it that much, but just kind of watching with fresh eyes and especially seeing a lot of these real shitty horror movies that we reviewed over the last year, Jay, that it's a lot better than what I remember. So it's a very strong medium popcorn for me.
1: You know what? I may surprise you with this, but I'm going to go large on this one as well. It's not as good as the first one. I totally agree. It's it's not nearly that, but I think it's a good continuation and I really dug it. Again, the the second time I watched it, I found myself really liking this thing, even though I didn't really get all of it I got more of it and I thought this is what I want in a horror sequel I compare this one to the way I feel about like Halloween 2 sometimes it's not as good as the first one but it's still very much watchable there's a lot of fun stuff in here and I, I like the fact that they go big and they go for big ideas I I love the fact that this series has started off smart and it's not afraid to continue down that road so I'm gonna go large popcorn on it not as strong a large as the last time but still a large popcorn for me and I'm real curious about our next conversation because I've seen Hellraiser 3 and it is it is a vastly different film than the first two chapters here.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what goes on with it. I just from what I kind of remember of it, I just remember a very late 80s early 90s vibe to it, but not not in a good way. I'm talking like kind of sleazy, dirty, oily, kind of I don't know. I kind of why do I keep on giving visions of like the saxophone player from The Lost Boys being like, the main characters in this movie? I don't know. There's a reason, and we'll talk about
1: it next time. Folks, thanks for joining us on this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes in our, or on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Hook up with us on our social media there, Facebook and Twitter. Find a link to our iTunes feed, and if you like the show, leave us a positive review. It helps other people find the podcast. Till next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Film Strip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes.
0: Now you must come with us. Taste our treasures.
1: All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2,
0: Title 17.